suspense time. We just need to keep fighting and then make sure that uh, we turn things around and believe that things will go our way and decisions will go our way. And, and Because you saw tonight, the, the first 15 minutes was, was great. You saw Taggart more combining and that we, you know, we were causing a lot of problems. It would have been a great game for the 11-11. The Raw may have confidence the results will come, but... As a fan, it would be nice to see them sooner rather than later. Welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review, here for a special therapy session for the next hour or so, as we take you through a weekend that was interesting to say the least. I'm James, and I'll be playing the Dr. Fraser Crane role, and I'm joined by two guys who look like they have plenty to say, so Scott, Adam, I'm listening. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if it keeps on going like this, I think there's going to be a few that are going to leave the building, because <laughs> it's... Uh... It's getting pretty um, sort of critical now, I'd say, I think, for the fans. And, yeah, I think as far as the men go, they need a win. They need one fast. And I will say we're not going to go all Atlanta Sports Radio and start having hug-it-out sessions for four hours. But, Scott, how are you? I'm okay. You don't need a hug? Um, no, I'm good. I Especially might need one us. after the two results <laughs> over the weekend for my two teams, but that's another story for another day. Yeah. What, 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 were, the, what were those results? Because I know I'm going to cop something a little bit later on. United for... lost to victory, and the, the, no, Brisbane lost to victory, and the other one doesn't matter. Although looking at United victory probably could give them a good run at the game. <laughs> <laughs> they would have absolutely wiped the floor with them. Just like the New England Patriots. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk a little I bit. I thought we put a, like a jar in, like a swear jar every time you mention the Patriots, you've got to tip in. Yeah. I thought we implemented that rule, didn't we? Yeah, this is a crowdfund, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're trying to get an away day going, I think it was. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, we're here for the Daily Football Show Fan Network. Um, any questions, comments, send it through to brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. We always love listener feedback, especially if they're telling us how much they love me, because, well, everybody does, right? That's why we get no feedback. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Even my parents don't. All right. So I'm just getting all the snarkiness out now before we actually start. Uh, we've already started. This has all been recording for <laughs> yeah. the last two minutes. Anyway, segment one, A-League review. So the Raw on... Friday night, played in what, what what looked like it was going to be called off at one point with the imminent threat of rain, and maybe it should have, because they went down after a wild first half, Raw 2, Victory 4, and a second half that was little more than a training drill. Is that about right, Adam? Yeah, look, uh, the word controlled was used a lot um, for from Kevin Musker to describe that win for Victory, and look, it was like it I think you couldn't have two more polar opposite halves. Like the first half was just off the chain, you know, sort of the drama, you know, goals and whatnot. The second half, yeah, I think it was a case of, you know, let's just play it out and get out of here. Pretty much, yeah. It seemed like the victory, if they wanted to, probably could have gone on, like having the extra man, which we will get onto in a little bit. But overall, it was really was a tale of two halves. It was in terms of entertainment value, but for the actual 90 minutes, it wasn't. Because victory were controlled to Adam's point from basically the fifth minute on. I mean, the Raw had a really great start when they could have scored in the first two minutes of the game, but victory very quickly got control, and after that, there was really only one winner in this game. There was It was a very clear difference between the two sides. That's right. All right, well, we'll start off 
you know, from pre-game, and the lo- team lineups came out hour before kickoff, and there were some changes that we'd been talking about possibly coming about. Toby Mickelson and Jack Hingott were both dropped completely from the squad. In came Steph Mork as well, and actually on the team lineup, it looked on the team sheet, it actually was listed as a four-four-two. It was it was a list of the four four two and it started off that way. I mean, it's hard because after twenty minutes, obviously down to ten men, and you got to change it up. But it seemed to be definitely a block of four in the middle of midfield to try and stifle the space in the middle of the park where Victory is so good. So it seemed a bit reactionary from John Elliott trying to stifle what Victory were doing. But it, it's hard to judge whether it really truly worked or not because of the early red card. But there was definitely a change in formation. All right. So uh, in the post game press conference, Adam actually asked a question for John Elliott about the squad changes. Yeah, oh, look, I um, I thought that we had to freshen things up. Um, I thought Daningham will give us that energy. I thought Steph Moore coming in will give us energy. I thought matching them up in midfield a little bit in terms of that they wouldn't catch us in transition, um, you know, would help. And they did catch us in transition where we, we shouldn't have given the ball away in that area for the first goal. Um, I thought that it was working really well. Um, but it was a pity that we had to play with 10 men for over 70 minutes. All right, Adam, so John just said there, pity they had to play with 10 men for over 70 minutes, but I do want to talk about those first 20 minutes where, while it was listed as a 4-4-2 on the team sheet, I couldn't help but notice it looked like that same old 4-2-3-1 formation. Yeah, look, it's as one of those ones, it, it seemed to be sort of um, moving sort of in waves and whatnot that, you know, it definitely seemed like two up the front, but then they were reverting into the defensive pattern into so that that four two three one. So I think it's one of those transitional sort of formations. But look, I actually thought that for the first you know fifteen minutes, uh, uh, albeit the um, the goal that uh, that victory scored first, now it was just from a plain you know poor defending. But other than that, I, I thought it was actually working. So um, it, they may have, he may have been on something, but obviously when the game changed twenty minutes, you know that, that went out the window. And overall, I, yeah, they did have their, I like to call it, rich. what well, in hindsight, what is a Richard Garcia versus Germany in 2010 moment where a shot was cleared off the line. I still don't know how that stayed in, but... I've I, blocked that from my memory. <laughs> Sadly, I, I can't. Don't, I don't think old Toivon knew if they blocked it. It was just, it was just one of those... Uh, and I, look, and I think that, that just almost encapsulates the Raw's whole season. I said they, they scored there after two minutes. It's a different ball game, so it, it's just... It's, you don't want to call all unlucky, but it just seems to be just nothing seems to be going going right at the moment. And in the post-match press conference, which is actually available on our Facebook page as well, I think you guys put it up as a video about 10 o'clock Friday night if you want to scroll yep, back through. Was, yep. um, I did have a clip from that, but we're just going to keep going in the interest of time. But basically, Aloisi was saying 11 versus 11. They felt they were matching the victory. And it's hard, it's, it's Sorry, hard to judge. I was going to say, like pretty much probably what I think you are about to say. Yeah. It is very hard to judge, but they did have their moments there when both sides were level, and maybe the victory were a little bit slow out of the blocks. They might have been slow out of the blocks, but you're right, it's so hard to tell whether it was truly working or not, because they had the great start in the first couple of minutes when they pushed forward with the the ball into the free kick in the box, the Mackay shot, and then the whole clearance off the line stuff. But then victory started to get control in the game, I thought, even though they weren't creating clear chances... Honda started to get more involved. Get more involved in the game, and it started to show the pattern of what was going to happen. So to me, I think, well, it was effective to a certain extent, I think eventually the quality of Honda and company would have found a way through. That's just the way I look at it, because even in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, they were starting to create openings. And even then, taking a look at the way, I suppose, the Raw were playing, they did seem like they were struggling to keep up with just the movement of Melbourne victory. It almost looked a little bit like the Raw back in the Ange days where there were defenders just standing still trying to 
react to what was going on around them rather than being a little bit more proactive. Look, I think that's pretty much what happened with the first goal, um, that uh, you know, James Troisi's you know, cross, lob cross um, over the top of the defence. And look, Daniel Bowles just didn't react. He, he completely lost um, Costa Barbarossa. He got in behind him and it was... Um, as long as I was hoping and praying that, you know, he'd stuff it up and, you know, made no mistakes. So that that just is pretty much endemic of, of sort of, you know, again, we yeah. keep on saying about the Raw's defence, you know, it, it can be a solid defence, but it's prone to sort of, you know, to lapses. And that one is a perfect lapse. We'll come back to that not later. Not a good way. We'll come back to that later. But I want to actually pay credit to Victory on that because we'll talk, a lot of the focus has been on the fact that Bowles potentially defensively, Christensen sloppy turnover, but... That's a super bit of play from James Troisi. Mm. That that's absolutely beautiful stuff to watch. Why can't he do that more consistently? Like, and maybe become a regular option for the Socceroos. I don't. Yeah. We're, we're not for fuck's sake here, but <laughs> that's something they can answer. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I did also wonder if he's uh, trying to go for the Kevin Musket look there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of them heading in that direction. Mm. Yeah, including their left back, I think. Yeah, he's getting close. <laughs> their left back, though, Corey Brown, was at the centre of. What was probably the most debated moment of the first half, which was Eric Bortiak getting sent off for two yellow cards. What's now, debatable about it? Well, <laughs> okay. So, yellow card for a late challenge on Corey Brown, yes. And then a second one for reacting after Toivonen came up and tried to say, good job, idiot. Yeah, he could have got the yellow card for the reaction on Toivonen. He could have got it for the reaction on um, um, Troisi as well. I mean, he completely lost it. So, my first reaction was... He deserved both yellow cards because he absolutely lost his head. And it was also unsurprising because we've seen his frustration building for the last year and a half with the way that he has been getting hacked in games. You you saw his frustration building from the moment he went down when Troisi... Look, when Troisi took him down inside five minutes and um, look, I don't know if it was a foul or if it was inadvertent, but he was, he, you could tell he was losing the plot yeah. then because he refused to leave, he refused to leave the, the field of play, which everyone knows when you, as soon as you get, tre- you get treated, he's got at least field of play, arguing with the fourth official on, on that. Then you could tell him sort of stomping around like, you know, a scolded dog and look, eventually it was going to blow up and unfortunately it was um, nearly uh, Corey Brown's ankles that was got, got blown up. I think it goes back further than that. Remember against Melbourne City, he got kicked out of the game. Adelaide got kicked out of the game. Take it, yeah, well, that, yeah, so that, you down, add yeah. those two things to getting kicked by Troisi early in the game. I think he did get fouled, but you add those yeah. three things together, you probably thought, here we go again, another game where my effectiveness has been limited by a bad chance from the opposition, which has not been punished. Well, and I can back, see why he's why he's getting so angry about it, but you can't react like that. No, you well, can't take back it to the Melbourne hands. City game, actually. Like, that was the first time we really saw him struggling after a pretty heavy challenge. Yeah. So I think it goes back that far. That was the first time it happened, and Adelaide, I think Taylor Egan was kicked him in that game because he got a yellow card for that. It was his first one. And, then and at least it wasn't his eyes. <laughs> it wasn't his eyes, but that, it goes back that far. Yeah. And I think it's been yeah. building since then with, with Eric, and he just completely lost it. Yeah, absolutely. And it does kind of make you... Do the comparison, though. Like, the other Brisbane player we've seen come in for that sort of heavy treatment with the hard, late challenges was Thomas Broich. And Broich just let the whole thing roll off his back, which, you know, it, it was phenomenal restraint from Broich's part. And I suppose Bortiak, you know, I hope he's disappointed with that because, quite frankly, he, he did really... I, I, did sure read, all, yeah. I did read somewhere that apparently that he did apologise to the team and um, to to John Elwissi after the game. So obviously he was pretty remorseful. And look, you're right. You can understand that, you know, yeah, frustration is just, was was getting to him. But to the point, you just you can't, um, 
you can't react like that. You know, at the end of the day, he left he left his team short for seventy minutes, and you know, the, against a victory side that had won five won five games in a row going into that, and probably the best team in the league at the moment, just just cannot give them an advantage. I think it's, at the end of the day, are we surprised that the result came out like this? And to the point you made earlier about Corey Brown, he didn't need that either because that that challenge hit his plant foot. That could have been really, really mm. bad for him. That could have been a broken ankle, or if a tire, yeah. a broken leg. That's a Should that's have been highly a dangerous. Card? I would have given a straight red for that. See, I wouldn't. It was a bad challenge, but given the precedent that we've seen, the way those challenges are officiated both here and abroad, that should have been a yellow card and the ref saying, next one and you're off. You're a very mm. lucky boy. Because, again, like, I got into this argument on Friday night, and I... You know, less than 24 hours later, we had a similar challenge in the Sydney Derby where Josh Berlante came in late and hard on a Western Sydney player. Did he catch the player? Yes. Okay, and he didn't, didn't get, he didn't even get booked for it, I'm pretty okay. sure. So in terms of it being like a pretty brutal tackle, absolutely. Yeah. But it's a little bit oversensitive whining to call it a red card and saying, oh, he could have gotten hurt. Well, uh, how much contact... Like, ha- it, football is a contact sport. Yeah. It's not a collision sport like rugby, but there is going to be contact between players. Yes, it is, but I didn't see the Brillante one, so I can't comment on that. But for me, I say it's a red card because he slid in so recklessly and caught the plant foot of Corey Brown. That's why I would give it the but, straight red card. But how many of those challenges we've seen before get off without a card? Like, it's a, it's a present, but you can't change the way the game's been. But, but, we've, also, but we've also but, seen red cards getting off that. I, look, for me personally, I... Um, Look, I'm, I'm, as long as he got cautioned, I'm, look, if it feels a yellow or red, it wouldn't have really bothered me, because at the end of the day, we've, we've seen all ranges of that, we've seen, we've seen that type of, ta- that tackle, you know, just get a warning, all the way till we have seen a red card, and, and yeah. there's always going to be a reaction somewhere, someone's not going to be happy with that and, thing, so, yeah, look, at the end of the day, it's the referee makes the call, but he needs to be consistent throughout the game if he's going to call it down like that. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, there did seem to be a hesitance, fr- hesitance from the referee. I think it was Peter Green. No, Adam Fielding. Adam Fielding. Peter Green's the fourth official. That's right, yeah. So it seemed like there was a hesitance overall to really go heavy on the cards in that yeah. game. So it, that could have just been the way he officiated. And we've actually seen that in the past. Remember the 2014 grand final against the Wanderers where it took how long for cards to start coming out? Yeah, but they came in a big hurry, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. But that's what... I, Oh, that's Peter Green again, sorry. Yeah. I'm getting myself confused. It's all good. The good thing, lucky thing for Eric is because it was a yellow card and a second yellow card, the match review panel can't go and tackle an extra game, so it should only be a one-game yeah. ban. Oh, but they couldn't have even done that if it was a straight red. I wouldn't well, be surprised. They'd they, give a straight red for a dangerous conduct challenge. You probably well, they did, they, did, they did review um, the Vedran Yenjevic, um red card. So... So the fact that it is two yellows means that, yeah, that basically yeah. it's a one-match ban, that's it. But I mean, even if it was a straight red, I couldn't have seen them tacking on too no, much. No, not, no. Because at the end of the day, look, even though it was a crude challenge, it was still, I guess, you know, quite, you probably can't see them because audio, visual, but a football challenge. Do you yeah. think Kevin Musket liked that sort of challenge right in front of him? He's thrown a few of those in, hasn't he? Well, considering he oh. argued after breaking Enrique's arm in two, after breaking Adrian Zara's He knee did too. Into... That one goes under the radar on Enrique. Yeah, where no he got up and called that. him a diver. So as far as I'm concerned, Kevin Musket really should shut his mouth on that stuff. I do want to close off this little uh, segment, though, with a quote from Aloisi on Eric Bortiak needing more protection. It's been happening all season to Eric, so he's getting frustrated. I don't want him to go and bring it into his own hands to try and, you know, uh, because he's so frustrated, you know, puts in a bad tackle or anything like that. I just want the referees to help him earlier and, and protect him earlier. 
um, and and then have a bit of common sense as well. You know, know that he's he's the one that's actually being kicked from pillar to post in every single game, um, and then when he does one thing, you know, just calm the situation down. But maybe I'm asking for too much. So. That's John Aloisi on Eric Bortiak. Believe it or not, we've still got about another 70 minutes of the game to get through, and we're going to run through this pretty quickly. Now, uh, Taggart equalised from the spot. It was a penalty on what turned out to be Thomas Deng, based on uh, Brenton Speed's commentary when I watched it on replay, which is good, because I honestly thought if KSK Honda, if the penalty was on KSK Honda, uh, it would have been a straight red card, considering he just petulantly kicked out at Taggart's foot. It is, but just a question. So Taggart's got six goals, three of which are penalties now. Is that a concern? The fact that half of his goals are penalties. Well, how many chances is he getting? That's true. It's not. It's not as though he's really getting chance after chance yeah. after chance. Yeah. That's that's just me anyway. As my phone's ringing, so I've just got to decline that call. Uh, you've got yeah, and then from there, uh, victory wound up taking a three-one lead, which well, there were a couple of phenomenal finishes. The goal from yeah. Ola Toivonen in there. Wow. Great finish. Horrible defending. Horrible defending. Having. A strike like that free in the box with so many players around the area who could have picked him up. It's not not great. He yeah, made the run I've been wanting to see an A-League striker make for ages where the entire back, back line just keeps dropping, keeps dropping, keeps dropping, and then he just sort of drops off them and gets ready to hit the ball into the goal. But you got to, like I said, you're right. It was The defending wasn't great on that. But also as well, I, I'd take the odds of of, you know, how many A-League strikers in this league at the moment would have actually, you know, executed on that. I could probably think of two or three. So maybe they took their chances and thought, oh, well, you know, it's a high degree of difficulty, and he absolutely nailed it. So that's and that's why this guy is not a Swedish international because he's got a cool-sounding name. It's, you know, he, he, is the, he is the genuine article, and like I said, he's starting to show that. Absolutely. And then uh, Toivonen actually managed to score at the other end just for good measure. Good header too, actually. Great header. <laughs> yeah, uh, off a free kick. And all of a sudden it was back to 3-2. And we can't really cover this too much, but I just want to ask, at 3-2 were you thinking, mate? No. No. No, I thought I thought at some point it may maybe it wasn't gonna be as early as it did and when it happened, but yeah, I thought that was when when they went three one up it was yeah, game over. Because yeah, only because like I said, ten men try and chase chase the game. The odds of that coming back, you know, especially who they're playing, it would have had to be a massive capitulation. One person did, however, predict a comeback. Our friend Simon, <laughs> football Queensland commentator, was saying five four full time, <laughs> continually, and he wasn't too far off, I guess. But he was he was probably the one person who predicted a comeback. So there you go. Well, look before before the game, I was saying to the people I was sitting with, you know, it feels like something strange is going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it was an upset, even though I had said just about everywhere I thought victory were going to win. But it was one of those nights before the game you thought something strange was going to happen. Anyway, the victory hit a sucker punch just on half-time. It seems like the Raw just shut off there from the corner, and it was a perfect training ground goal. It was. We'll get into that later. Yeah. And, yeah, second half... <laughs> I have a lot to say about that, but we'll get to it later. It was pretty much a yeah training run from there. Let's just keep it moving. Aloisi su- made a couple of subs, but really, the, the way that that game was played, there was no chance of them coming back down a man. Just a just quick note on those subs. Um, you know, Nick Degasino coming on before Dylan Wenzel Halls. That was, I thought, fairly um, interesting to say the least. Um, but again, like I said, the game was gone. Uh, victory were playing. You know, we're playing keep ball for most of it. You know, that, trying to rack up. You know, their passing stats. So it wouldn't be much to note in the second half. Both of those subs were actually quite interesting. The way that the raw pretty much emptied out midfield, taking off Lopez and Mork in that moment and bringing on a couple of attacking players, but it didn't have an impact. 
but definitely not. All right, that's going to be it for uh, segment one of the Brisbane Football Review. We're actually going to split this A-League recap into two parts because we've already been talking for quite a while and I need a break. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. Look, I, I understand that you know there's going to be a little bit of noise that comes with the, the territory. I, I, as a player, you know, the playing overseas uh, as a striker, you know, you like one week and you hate it the next. As a coach, uh, you hate it most of the time. So it's uh, it's part of it. And but you can't listen to what the, the noise is about. You have to focus and prepare and make sure that the team um, is ready to go. And then that's what the, you know being a coach is all about. Welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here, and that was John Aloisi last Thursday talking about the noise uh, surrounding, I suppose, his job security at the moment. And this is going to be a follow-on from uh, segment one. We covered it a little bit last week talking about what how secure John Aloisi was in his role. I kind of want to take that a little bit further here and talk about, all right, let's assume that Aloisi is going to be in the job for the foreseeable future, so at least through the next couple of months, whatever. What needs to change for what is a three-game losing streak and some pretty disappointing results so far? What needs to change, Scott? Well, if not the manager. Well, we, we won't talk about changing the manager. We'll talk about things the team needs to change. There's two things that every good team has, no matter whether you want to play the Pep Guardiola way in terms of attacking football or a more counter-attacking way, like say a Jose Mourinho. Both well, I know things this. teams I know have this. two they things score in common. more goals than the opponent. That, but also there's two things that got in common: legs, leg speed, and discipline. They all don't have much of either at the moment. We talked about the discipline with Bochak, so that's it's 21 yellow cards and two reds already this season, which is the worst record in the competition. And leg speed, and particularly in midfield, the Raw are really struggling at that at the moment. So if you're looking at changing something, that would be the two things you, I would be looking to start with. That's one thing I actually noticed as well, talking about leg speed overall. It just seems like the side right now, that as a whole, they're just sitting, yeah. sitting there waiting to react to what's in front of them rather than being as possibly proactive and maybe a little bit more aggressive trying to get the ball back. Yeah, look, I think, you know, to Scott's point, I think he's sort of be spot on there because at the end of the day, I think one is exclu- is not exclusive to the other either because I think, you know, the, they seem to be, in a lot of the times, I think we pulled our stat, yeah. stat from the Optus stats about the how many duels that they've, they've yep. won and lost and, and it's below 50%, which which leads me to believe that, yeah, you're right, it's reactionary, which means mm-hmm. that, you know, sometimes those reactions can be very late, which turns into needless fouls, which means mm-hmm. the yellow cards. And, you know, look, the, the, red, the red card on Botiak, that was... No, that was bordering sort of... You know, that was just a crazy moment. So you can't really say that's reactionary. But look, I think, I think one's not exclusive to the other. I think because they're reacting, because they probably don't have the... They're probably the fitness, which is which is strange to a point, but given the, the length of their pre-season, maybe, and maybe the long pre-season is starting to manifest now. Maybe that's the issue. But um, yeah, look, I think that that's really a factor that needs to be... Well, I don't know if there's a short-term solution to it, but it, obviously it is a problem. I'm not actually too sure... Fitness is necessarily an issue because you look at the way that they've finished games. They've typically yeah. been the stronger team in the final 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a fitness issue, but with the midfield, it's just look, Christensen and um, Lopez and Mackay are all, all very good players on the ball. But again, with leg speed, I don't think there's enough leg speed and running power in that midfield to make the team tick. That's a big question. And with the, the discipline, it's not even just the Bochak red card. It's just you see them all the time. Every time something goes against them, always throwing their arms up in the air. One thing can kind of lead to another. You see on the sidelines, there's quite often demonstrative. I think it's also a change in mindset. 
as well. That might be the thing, just to go into a game with a positive mindset. And even if things start going against you, just try and keep that mindset going. And that might sort the discipline problem out a little bit as well. Well, following on from that, it does look like a side that is very bereft of confidence right now. It does. If one thing... Like, they've shown... Like, they've done a phenomenal job fighting back in a couple of games. Like, for example, the game out in Mudgee against the Wanderers, where mm. they were down 2-0 and it looked like it could have gotten really bad. And then they all managed to pull it back there. That's a good example of why I don't think it's a fitness issue, because that was a pretty warm day out there from memory, and... You're right, after about 20, 25 minutes, when they did get their legs up and running, they were they did run over the top of the Wanderers. So I, I don't think it's a fitness issue. We did see a couple of squad changes come in right now, and I do think we talked about the uh, you know being overrun a little bit in midfield. Probably the lack of... What's the right way to put this? The lack of um, Stefan Mork and Brett Holman. Yeah. Like, lack of availability for them. Holman obviously hasn't been available all season. Mork's been in and out through injury and suspension so far. So I will say about Mork. Mork might be a player who can add that leg speed in the midfield, just, but because he had an injury, he's been in out because of injury and a red card, it's kind of taken away the momentum from him, so as, as he gets back in, he might be able to provide that for them. Yeah, But absolutely. so far, it's been lacking this season. But that's what I, that's what I mean. Like, Mackay, look, he's an ever-present, we know what he can do, and he'll run for 90 minutes no matter what, and I think, you know, even when his career is done, he'll be able to run around the NPL for years on end. But, I don't know. Adam, you're looking very quiet at the moment. Let's get you in on this. Yeah, look, um, to be honest, it's like, there's not much more I could add to, add to that. You know, it's, um, look, I think at the end of the day, the whole, the simplistic, simplistic argument is change the manager. But, hmm. you know, look, the thing That's not, is, our, not in our control. We... That's, exactly, that's exactly it. And at the end of the day, I, I sort of argue to those people that have saying that, and it seems to obviously that, that noise is growing and growing. Well, then what's your solution to that? Like, yeah, as... as, as as you, Scott, have pointed out, a, a very, very, you know, a good logical argument. Say, well, look, it's the players. So it's not what, just what, the players. Yeah, I don't know it's not just the players, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that the whole thing of, oh, well, if you want to sack Alawisi, well, what, what's your solution to that? Mm-hmm. Oh, or, or is it just a case of, you know, we just wave the, when I say we, then the, the raw, mm-hmm. they just wave the flags and say, oh, this season's done for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, eight games in. I, I just think it's this whole, and I think a lot, and look, a lot of it is vendetta driven. It wouldn't matter if he goes on a six or seven game winning streak. There, there's going to be people that just, he just rubbed people the wrong way. It, yeah, and like and but, as I've been saying all along, like I think in the three years we've been doing this show, it's yeah. one thing I do feel really, really bad for, like John Alessi about is the fact that from the day he was hired, there were people saying get yeah. rid of him. Yeah, and the, this is a this is like. It is one of the downsides yeah. of this fan base in general, where they're so quick to demand a massive change. Like, you remember Mike Mulvey had been in the job for, what, a month and a half? He'd just gotten that contract extension, and they had that huge banner at, uh, was it the Wellington game, Mulvey? It was yeah. the Wellington game straight after the Champions League game when he got the the contract extension at the airport on their way home. Yeah. Mm. Now, the, yeah. now the, I'm just trying to go back, because we were having a conversation about this last night, and... I kind of see it as a couple of different angles. First of all, if they do move on from Aloisi, and it's a big if, to me that would basically be saying, all right, we still feel like something can be salvaged with this squad. It's good enough to do that. And and we think that this is the best way to get a reaction out of the player. So we've got the cattle, we just need the director. Or the counterpoint to getting rid of John Aloisi, and you touched on this already, Adam, Who's going to replace him? Because right off the top of my head, I can't think yeah. of anyone that what 
I can't think of anyone that's available right There's now. There's nobody obvious no. in Australian football right now in the country who's a logical, definite improvement on John Alois because... There's just all of obvious candidates were taken we're not, up we're not gonna during re- the off-season. And we're not going to repair, but there's been some absolutely ridiculous um, suggestions, which I don't, really don't even want to entertain. I yeah. think they're, they're just idiotic. I will say, if they yeah. are actually going to head in this direction, I hope it's planned out and forethought and they have someone ready to go who is actually the long-term solution. Because I think, remember last time when they got rid of Mulvey so soon and they... They kind of brought Tyson in, but he was only until the end of the season. That kind and of he was meant to be the manager. It made it a difficult sort of transition because he was just an eight-month stopgap, which that, really that wrote the whole thing. Where off. you felt at times that the players are given up, mm. the fans are given up, and it's just not a great, a great environment. Mm. Look at for for the sake of you know maybe the mm. you know the hundred or so. You know, you know, loud voices on social media and whatnot. You know, to to admit the for the club to admit to giving up on the season. That's where you're going to have a thousand, thousand, thousand people say, mm. you know what? Why am I paying my money if if this mm. if this club's given up on this season because they want they given want up a, a so piece. soon in the season well, as well? Saving, yeah. Like saving for the social media hyperbole. Yeah, I do feel like you could you could hire a manager that is a significant downgrade on Aloisi. And I've seen some named. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what oh, yeah. like. Just like you, like obviously you know, if say Ange Postecoglou wanted to come back in a second, nothing against Aloisi there, it's, it's Ange. But also, like some of the other replacements, like you, otherwise you might wind up having to dip down into the NPL stocks. And yeah. is that look, really going to be? A, look, I would, yeah. I would love to see a guy like a Warren Moon yep. or a Ben Khan or a few of the or, or one of the Pittick brothers. You know, get a chance. The problem is, is that nothing is going to change, and they're just going to get they they you know, have to give going to get get. And this, and this is a fan base that will not that want they they addicted to winning. That would be it would be yep. a long term approach to yeah. put someone like that into the professional game. You have to give them time to grow into the actual professional football, which is a step if, up for them. If, I, if it's going to be a long process for them. Okay, yeah. I think I'd be all for it, but it'd have to take time. I just want to make one last, last point. thing, Adam, because then we will keep moving. Yep. The thing is, is that if this, if the fan base, of this club over the years have demonstrated that you know they can, they can accept that you know there's going to be a rebuilding season or something like that, then I think it'd be a good idea. But that result ultimately is what you know keeps this club alive and keeps the fans interested. And the problem is, is that you know I know as much as they want to you know say, oh you got to sack Alawisi, until there is a good you know solid replacement that is actually going to improve this side, there's no point because in the end you're just going to you're just just throwing away the season. Absolutely, and. Look, the one thing I will say about Aloisi as well, I think from our interactions with him and whatnot, I know he says you know the same stuff over and over in press conferences, whatnot. The way he's wired, I guarantee he's you know sitting in his office, going home every day, going, "I'm going to turn this around. I have to be yeah. that guy." Now, whether still or not he the does, belief, that's the positive. Yeah. He still believes he can do it, and whether or not he is the one that does it, like that's going to be determined by the results yeah. over the next little while, but. Bottom line is, it's not for a lack of belief. Yep. Now, yeah, I just wanted to finish off the segment uh, with this quote from uh, Aloisi talking about having the belief that things are going to turn. You know, you, you know what? It's three losses in a row. Against Adelaide, we didn't deserve to lose. Last week, the last half hour wasn't great. Tonight, the first 20 minutes was very good. I thought that we, to be honest, I thought that we were matching victory and that we could have gone on to get a really positive result. They will, they will turn for us. It will turn for us. When you keep playing like that, it will, it will turn. You know, we, we're not going to get uh, too carried away that, you know, um, that we're not a good side. Like you said, last year we had a similar start. 
But last year we had a lot of injuries and it was going to take us a lot longer to get going. This year we haven't got those injuries. We've got more coming back in who look good. Uh, we had Taggart coming off of that injury who looked good. And and I think that we're going to, you know, we'll get our wins a lot earlier than we did last year. We went on a run last year, seven out of ten games we won. We'll, we'll go on another run like that. We just have to make sure that we pick ourselves up and we're ready for Wellington. And we stick together, which you saw tonight, even with 10 men, the boys ran and fought together. All right, so we've covered the manager situation again. Now I want to move Same on. Same time next week? <sighs> Actually, no, because it'll be Christmas Day. So if you want to record Christmas Day, <laughs> yeah, you guys right, can fair take point, it. Well made. Yep. All right, yes, we are recording on a Tuesday, by the way. Now, I want to talk about the players. We saw some changes, as mentioned in segment one. Uh, one of the players that was dropped was Jack Hingant, and obviously they still shipped another four goals. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like Hingant was made a little bit of a scapegoat, I suppose probably because, A, he's mm-hmm. got the confidence to bounce, bounce back from being dropped, and B, Daningham is a pretty natural replacement. Yep. So, Scott, you've been teasing this for a while. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, I just what want are to your thoughts up, on the defence? Adam said a couple of times now, both in our post-match show on Friday and in segment one here, that the Raw are Adam's not got a... the biggest <laughs> grin on has. his face right now. <laughs> he has. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to He just said that the Raw are not a bad defensive side. I just want to... I disagree, because you said that it's... Basically, your whole premise is they have lapses, but generally speaking, they're not bad. I don't think they've got bad yep. players. I think their execution yep. hasn't well, been there. The thing is... If you have lapses very similar every single week, good teams don't do that, right? Good teams at the top of the table don't have the same sort of lapses every single week. I'm not going to make a Man United joke. I'm not okay, going to make a Man United joke. They're not top of the table. They're rubbish. Anyway, <laughs> they've conceded, the Royal conceded five goals inside the first 20 minutes of, the, of games. They conceded five goals either side of halftime. That's obviously stuff we've talked about in the past. It's poor starts and then around the halftime interval. Do you know what happened twice on Friday night, James? When the Royal scored. They scored. The Raw scored, and within five minutes, they conceded again. So it seems like it's a focus yeah. problem there. And again, and the great example is stoppage time. The what, second minute of stoppage time, Victory had their short corner. That is, obviously it's a fantastic goal for Victory, but from a Raw perspective, that is about as bad as it can get defensively. Yep. So I, I, th- I, do, I think that you say the Raw aren't a bad defensive team. I think they've shown yeah, signs that they, Adam, right that they are. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, look, that, that sort of that, that sort of makes my point that you know, what, what I know that they they concede you know five you know, early on and you know five minutes after the interval and after goals, but what about the rest of the time? Well, that's the whole point. <laughs> they're, con- they're conceding all this at key points no, in the I, game. Look, I, look I, I see, I see your point about you know the focus, and that, yeah. that's a mental, that's a mental attribute, and that's something yeah, absolutely yeah. they've got to work on. But yeah, look, you know, if if, if, if if they, for me, and this is yeah. my view on what would it actually classify them as a bad defensive team in the sense of the word, is that they can see goals almost randomly. It means that they've got no structure, no formation. There, it seems like that they it's almost they need that jolt to be able to say, "Oh, hang on, we're supposed to you know be you know, in a formation. We're supposed to you know mark in tightly that the actual the screeners should be doing their job." Um, that, that's what I think that they're that why I don't think they're bad as such. As such, look, I take your point, Paul, yeah. that focus is a real issue. Yeah. That's that's something that they need to work on. But for me, if they, if they were a bad defensive team overall, mm. they just ship goals, you know, every time, you know, every second time they, that the, the well, opponents well, say. But no, I take, I take your point on board. They are bottom three in every defensive mm. category. I checked, yeah. I checked the official A-League website stats today. They're bottom three in pretty much every defensive stat. So. And look, top to bottom, front to back, it's a whole team any, thing. It's I, not yeah. just a back four. You defend mm. as a team. Yeah. I don't think that there's anyone in the squad that can look at the way that they've played this year and say, I've been good enough. Like I think yeah. some of the players, like 
like uh, we were talking as yeah. well, like Papadopoulos, Jamie Young, even Adam Taggart to an extent might be able to say, and Alex Lopez as well, they're the sorts of guys that can say, look, I've done well, but I need to do more. Yeah, I think you can pick out individuals Everybody who've done quite well. That. You're right. You can pick yeah. out individuals who've done well, but collectively, yeah. I think the defending this season has been bad. The yeah. some, the whole is not equaling the sum of the parts yeah. right now. All right. One of the... So I kind of want to use this as a bit of a springboard in terms of change, player changes that could happen as well. Luke DeVere was left out of the youth league side as they beat Melbourne City 3-1 down in the, Melbourne in the second edition of the Thunder and Lightning derby for 2018. Yes. And, yeah. Bright sunny day as well. I know. A rare not, event for this for that game. Go figure. Not, not rained out, but that's probably because the Raw were actually winning. <laughs> uh, it was an own goal and then goals from Daniel Lek and Mirza Muradovic. Obviously, there's a bit of a logjam of guys pa- capable of playing striker. Where does Muradovic sit? Because he's now got, what was it, four goals this yep. season. I probably sits behind D'Agostino, Wenzel Halls, Taggart, and Enrique. Yep. Unfortunately, because he's in great form, but you would say he's probably, it's probably the one position where they'll have got good young attacking depth up their sleeve. Yeah. So he's probably a bit down the pecking order at the moment. I, I think um, Mirza Muradovic, I think as well, you know, guys like Daniel Lek and Shannon Brady, they're, pro- they're probably guys that say, you know what, um, they've, they've done they've done well with their opportunities in youth league, but I wouldn't be just going throwing them up in the top team. I think let them play out the youth league season. They may be if things don't improve, or you know the the task of you know I guess you know, making top you know top two, top four is beyond them. There's sort of um, players that you may want to see come in you know in February, March, and you know, at least have, give them a go. But I think at the moment, I think it's important for them that they play out this NYL season because they've got a great opportunity here, especially you know, ahead of Sunday, to really sort of, you know, put themselves in a position where they may be playing the first first uh, weekend of February. I agree with that, absolutely. They should stay and play the conclusion of National Youth League and then bring them in confident on the back of that. And, of course, a curious case of Luke Devere continues. Of course. Well, mm. look, we, don't, we still don't know if it's injury or form-related. He hasn't been listed as, with an yeah. injury. It's so. really not injury. He played a week and a half ago at played Lions minutes. Stadium, so... But all I'm saying is, like, for all we know, it could have been a rehab stint. Possibly. And, you know, the fun kind of rehab stint where you're playing football, not a Charlie Sheen one. <laughs> I, I think Luke... Oh, yeah. I, I'm not even going to touch that. No, that that was just a joke. Got in enough trouble today, anyway. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, um, quick touch on the news as well. Western Melbourne to enter the A-League in 2019-20 and South West Sydney in 2021. I Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would have much it's not much Canberra, of a surprise, but... is it? No. Uh, but... One thing I will say, I disagree with is bringing Western Sydney in in a year's time just to placate the Wanderers when they move to Paramount Stadium. I just prefer to bring them in now. I get the whole point is you stagger it, you get the excitement of Western Melbourne coming in, then twelve months later you get the excitement of them coming in. But I just think if you're going to expand, just bring them in because they're they're more ready than most of Melbourne when you think about because their stadium, Campbelltown, is ready to go. Yeah. Whereas the um, Western Melbourne bid hasn't even broken ground so, on theirs it's yet. It's interesting take because I actually thought it might have been the other way, where where that basically that you know there's 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 rumours ahead of the board meeting to say say you know oh the, that expansion was going to be delayed to you know twenty you know twenty twenty one, and then obviously the, the the negative reaction from the fans about that, and maybe the FFA board went back to say okay, which one of you two yeah. is ready to go in you know next season? And I thought maybe, but that no, but yeah. you actually raised a fair point. Maybe change my mind on that. Maybe, yeah, that, yeah. All right. I all I will say is, look, those two. Bi- I, I'm not surprised we got a new Sydney or Melbourne club, but you know, I'm I'm more excited about what's going forward with. Uh, yeah, I'm more excited about what's going forward 
where they said, you know, there's a national second vision working group to yep. be established. And there was also a report during the week from... So it was Vince Regari and Don Bosti, the two Sydney, okay, so Sydney Morning actually, Herald. I'd actually reporters. trust those guys then. Yep. Um, yeah, Brisbane City is a leading contender for further A-League expansion. And it seems like this is hopefully going to kickstart the A-League growing further and further. And Chris Nuku did say that expansion is an ongoing process. Yeah. This isn't the end. It's which is, going to continue Which on. is what we wanted to hear. We didn't want to stop at 12 and say, oh, okay, that's it. You know, we're happy that. No, it can't. It's got to be, it's not, not going to be, you know, a short-term meme. It's got to be a long-term plan yeah. as well. Absolutely. And it's good that Queensland's on the agenda because the second mm. team in this part of the world is necessary. Yep. All right. That's going to be it for what was a very draining first couple of segments of the Brisbane Football Review. I am very much looking forward to segment three, though. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. About 40-odd minutes in right now. It's James Scott and Adam, and we're getting into a segment now that I've been looking forward to since... I finally dried off Sunday afternoon. It is the W League recap. I'm going to talk about the Raw's 4-3 win against Melbourne Victory W League side out at Lion Stadium at Richlands. And boy, what an afternoon, Adam. <laughs> well, it's, it was a pretty, uh, pretty good afternoon. Like We always enjoy um, Lions just for the hospitality and whatnot, but, but the football on the pitch I'm was... I'm so glad great. we were upstairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, and look, just, just, just quickly on that, just to raise a point on that, I think well done oh. to the, to uh, the fans that, you know, on Friday night were sitting in the rain, you know, and those who made Thank it out you. on Sunday um, serve also in the open areas of Lions Stadium. So, you know, look... Yeah. Uh, you say a lot about the fans, but you know, there's some out there that are passionate. They're willing to do anything. To be fair, you said a lot about the fans. We said nothing. Well, yeah. I think there was a thousand, just over a thousand people there as well on Sunday, which, was, which was a really yeah. good effort. So. Mm. Yeah, and it was a really, really entertaining a, game as well. On a, re- yeah. on a really ugly day where there was extra severe uh, storm warning. So, yeah, no, but you're right. It was an excellent game considering the conditions. And I think I said in the post game show that you know, both, both teams, I think I have to be credited for the way, that, the way they played and why they went after the game. Yeah, thanks for covering that post-game show, guys. I had to go home and go to bed because of my 4 a.m. start the next ah, that's morning. Right. Didiums. Yeah. Oh, that was a long I feel day. so sorry for you. <laughs> I don't have to sit through my NFL team losing a lot, but that was one of them. Anyway, Alira Toby opened the scoring, and actually, no, before we get into that, okay. I want to get uh, Mel Andretti's thoughts on the game. Yeah, I thought we got off to a really good start, positive, um, aggressive. It's the way we um, prepared all week, and... Uh, we said we weren't going to take a backward step and when you're up against the team that's performing best in the league at the moment and undefeated, I think that's the mentality you have to bring to the game and the girls did that and then of course things got a bit different as the game went on. <laughs> Made it interesting. Uh, how beneficial was it playing in front for most of the game? Yeah, look, I think you know that's really important for us. We're always talking about um, that positivity and creating the first chance and you know, when we do that, we know we perform well, um, and we did that today, and we got the three points. So it's part of um, what we try to do, um, and today it worked out for us. So that was obviously a very happy Mel Andretta, and maybe a little bit relieved with the way the game played out. So the Raw's four goals, there were Alira Toby, uh, own goals from Dumont and Dowie, and then Nagasato, and victory three goals from Nan Dowie and Emily Gielnick, and the... Uh, the both teams' last goals came in stoppage time, and boy, did it set up for a tense finish. It was a very tense finish, right, because victory were... Well, the rain helped, but they were coming home with a wet sail. Because they literally. Was, <laughs> literally, you're right, but they were they were, they were were running over the raw at the end, unfortunately, for the raw, but... Well, it the goal from Nagasato was... Nine players it, on the that, we'll get to that in a minute, but 
the goal from Nagasato was really, really important because it came at such a crucial time. Victory had just got a goal back to halve the deficit, and they had another chance as well. So it was such an important goal for the Raw. And you, you mentioned yes, if, you look down, if you look down yeah. the run sheet, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Well, you bit. just brought it up. I wonder why you went to the end of the game in the first place. But to your point earlier about Mel and Relief, she was very, very clearly relieved at full time when yeah, the whistle right. finally went. That's right. So, uh, Alira Toby, uh, she opened up the scoring. It was a bit of a high press from her that actually wound up leading to the first goal where she robbed uh, Laura Alloway yeah. and then saw the keeper off the line and took a very well-hit shot into the into the goal. Yeah, look, she needed to find some form and uh, and just uh, that. And that that's, I guess, you know, just possessing you know, a you know, a Matilda's sort of stalwart and um, sort of lobbing the keeper. I think that that took gave, that gave great confidence. I think that after that, it also showed in her play, just in general, that you know she was Joe riding on. I think she's, I think, the epitome of a confidence player, and it's really good to see her showing that confidence. I know you want to throw some audio about Mel talking about Lurito, but we'll also say from a victory perspective, that's the second time now Casey Dumont has been lobbed by being too far off her line. So from their point of view, it's something they might need to address. Absolutely. And this is what Mel had to say about the performance of Alira Toby. She needs, as we said, the whole group needed to deliver and she's part of that group. Everyone relies on a good nine and she needed to put in a performance like that and I'm really pleased that on the back of hard work, um, committed in defence and in attack breaking line, she did that. Good honour. I'm proud of her. So yes, Mel is very proud of the performance of Alira Toby and I got to admit, even though it was victory play, I was super impressed with uh, victory's first goal. Oh, look, the free kick! Look, oh, she's um, she's a quality yeah. player, Christine Ann, and uh, it's funny when in the lead up to that, we were thinking that you know, oh, for sure, you know, it was going to be Emily Gilnick that took yeah. the free kick, and being on the on the right side for as well, and Nan just stepped up and just absolutely bamboozled McCann. Yeah, some fool sitting at this table said Gilnick was going to hit the tree behind the goal. <laughs> The free kick. <laughs> so I was wrong on both counts. Yeah, and where we were si- where we were sitting, like it was a let's be honest, a fairly raw friendly area, and yep. like everyone just went, "Oh my god, that yep. was awesome!" Yeah. Do you know it's a good free kick when the goalkeeper just doesn't even bother moving? Yeah. yeah, the goal had hit the the ball had hit the back of the net by the time Mackenzie Arnold could do anything yeah. about it, and that's about all she could do about yeah. it. Yeah, aside from just turning around and going, "You got me there." Yeah, that yeah, it was one of those unsavable ones. Yes, but um, yeah. Overall, what stood out for me early was both sides were really willing to shoot from distance. It seemed like there were a lot of 20, 25-yard shots early on. I wonder if that's also partly due to the weather as well, given there was a bit of moisture in the air. A, ball, a bouncing, slippery ball on the field, on the turf can be difficult for goalkeepers. I wonder if that was a part of it, because from the Raw's perspective, I don't recall them shooting from distance too much so far this shots. season. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, Went into halftime 1-1. Now, I'm going to need your help with this because in true Jinx fashion, I went to the bathroom when it was 1-1 early in the second half. When I came back, it was 2-1 raw. So, Adam, what did I miss? Well, you missed uh, Chioma Ubagagu. Ubagagu, we're trying to make sure we get Ubarbagu. the Ubagagu. Yeah, that's right. So, Ubagagu. Ubagagu. So, Ubagagu. We, we're going to been... get there. Ray Dow, the, com- the co-commentator on Sunday, was... Constantly pronouncing it <laughs> in the free game, I still can't yeah. get it right, so I might yeah. have to need more practice. Uh, as long as the commentator's got it right, though, that was important. Ibogagu uh, made, made a run down the uh, byline. She, what well, I thought, she went to look to cross inside. Uh, Casey Dumont has spilt it into the back of her net. There we go. But there was conjecture on who actually got claimed the goal. Yep. Yeah. I think the um, W League yes. officially have given it as an own goal to Dumont, so. In conjunction with the Brisbane Football Review official yep. scorer. Yes. 
which was. And not, the chairman was probably a bit disappointed not to be given credit for that goal because all strikers oh, want I'd, credit. We would love to give another goal. Absolutely, but it's, love it was to. Flatten the seals in case they want own goal. Someone who I would have loved to have awarded a goal to as well was Claire Polkinghorn, who was involved in the third one where she beat. Well, she tried to uh, score, and unfortunately, Natasha Dowie robbed her of that opportunity. Natasha Dowie can't goal. stop scoring. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Just like, so, what is it, Victory Strike is scoring at both ends of the field this weekend? Yeah, cha- yeah. so... Chanley, uh, Haruna, Ola Toivonen. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a trivia question one day. What did Natasha Dowie and Ola Toivonen <laughs> do on the same weekend for the same club? <laughs> I guess the same opponents. Yeah, that's right. I, we, in, well, we, we were talking as that goal went in, and we were trying to say, so it was definitely Polks, it was definitely Polks, and we looked over at the screen that uh, the commentators <laughs> had and went, yep, that was an own goal. The one, the one thing as well, I'm not sure if you guys caught it at the time, I happened to see it because it was all on social media, was um, the tackle that uh, Jenna McCormick hit uh, Claire Polkinghorn with um, so after, in the goal celebration. I missed that because I was trying to work out who scored. Yes, that was yeah. a bit of friendly fire, yeah, that, wasn't yeah, so it? Yeah, I'll tell you what, if anything, you know Jenna McCormick's getting ready for the AFLW <laughs> season with that. But, yeah. Wouldn't that be a week suspension in AFLW? Oh, I think so. Or, or AFL, but they but look. They were they were very happy and look. And I, I'm convinced that had you know Natasha Dow not gotten ahead to it, Claire Claire would have and yep. it would have been a goal. So that's stage three one. As, yeah, it was going to it was going to be a Claire Polkinghorne goal, and Dowie mm. just selfishly robbed her yep. of the chance. Yep, I know, but uh, Natasha Dowie did manage to get a goal in the right net eventually. Uh, tapping in after Emily Gilnick hit the post, and next thing we knew, it was game on at 3-2, going into the 90th minute. Yeah, it was, as mentioned earlier, it was really entertaining the last 10 minutes of this game. The last 10 minutes was kind of like the first half in the A-League. It was just absolutely everything going on. I mean, and you had it, and injuries all, and cards, and obviously the goals which we're getting to. And it was also teaming down with rain at that, that stage. So, yeah, look, it's, you know, it was pulsating stuff. And, yeah, the, as good as Alira Toby's strike was, this was my favourite goal I've seen all weekend. Uh, especially when it wasn't scored by Southampton. But, yeah, uh, Bure, he, uh put the ball through to Yuki Nagasato and stopped the ball absolutely dead, rounded the keeper and scored. And it was just phenomenal composure. Showed up to her absolute class in that instance. Yep. It was That's why she's yep. well Absolutely winner. brilliant stuff. Yep. yep. Can't say enough about how good that first yep. touch was. I'm pretty sure the highlights are online now on the yep. U-Face and the My Book and whatnot. Absolutely. But, All of those, yep. Yeah, check it out. It was phenomenal. Wasn't over though. Uh, Emily Gilnick made it four three at ninety plus two, and all of a sudden there was a little bit of conjecture about what was going to have to happen next. Yes, I, I distinctly remember hearing um, the victory coach Jeff Hopkins telling his players, "Keep going, there's only two minutes to go. Two more minutes, keep pushing." And unfortunately, it turned out to be much more close to six or seven minutes. Yeah, the given game, the events of what actually happened, but there was the clock wound up stopping on I think about ninety nine minutes and change. Yes, because there was a lot of drama in stoppage time. Yep. As the rain actually started coming down, we could hear there were calls from downstairs going, you know, is the game going to get called off? And this is what Mel Andretta actually had to say about that. I remember to have that audio. Oh, look, yeah, when you're in front, of course, you're thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking that anyway, <laughs> how much time's left. But, you know, it's a referee's call and, you know, we always talk about it being tough for the coaches and the players and um, managing the game. It was tough for them. And considering the conditions, it's their call. I think they did a, a fair job. And yeah, that was Mel giving, a, I'd say, a fairly politically correct answer there because I think she would have been more than happy for the game to be called off there 4-3 after 93 minutes. And I suppose it is at the ref's discretion. Yeah. To It wasn't until close to injury time when you could actually see the ball distinctly slowing down, though. So I will give the referee that. It was very late in the game when 
the whether it was actually starting to impact the roll of the ball. Yeah, and with, what, 60 seconds to go, I don't think anyone yeah. would have really complained too much if the ref had said, all right, ball's not rolling. I think the ref might have also been thinking, look, there's only a couple of minutes to go, let's just get the game over with. Yeah, hopefully, it, nothing, well, hopefully nothing happens, and unfortunately, did. something did happen. Yeah, mm. ball came down, victory's right wing, and Carson Pickett, who is looking so much more comfortable this year, yeah. uh, wound up sliding in to try and clear it out, and Emily Gilnick tried to jump over yeah. her. It wasn't anything no. malicious, it was just ac- total accidental collision, mm. and... I wound up collecting Carson Pickett in the face with a knee. Mm. And the ball stopped dead. That was the problem. Yeah. yeah. The ball wasn't rolling in that particular corner. I think it was the rain coming down off the roof was what caused the puddle in that area, and the ball just stopped dead. Yep. And their yeah, accidental collision, uh, there was a pretty decent stoppage. They were trying to get Carson Pickett <laughs> yep. stable and uh, moved off the pitch. And this is what Melandrade had to say about the injury. Yeah, she's um, really good. I think it was more shock and you know it was just hectic at the end <laughs> um so she's she's good she um uh, is feeling really good and isn't showing any signs of anything more serious at all so that's obviously good news uh Carson Pickett is sounding like she's going to be okay because obvi- there is a quick turnaround for Thursday night when they take on Western Sydney at Dolphin Stadium at Redcliffe one player who the rule will be without though is Katrina Gore who picked up a second yellow card for something it was for time wasting, and look, you know, it's one of those ones where I got a feeling referee Katie Patterson forgot she had booked. I saw Katrina the look Gorey. on her face yeah. when she realised it because was a second yellow look, and went, "Uh oh." Look, te- technically speaking, yeah, what what Minnie did was it was time wasting. You know, like I so said, she she's a very very experienced player, a very crafty player, and you know what she she was doing. But I don't think she even thought that she'd get caught. Yeah. Because it was a yellow card in isolation, it was a second yellow card, which means, look, it's a correct decision. But, you know what, this is where sometimes referees have to show a little bit of common sense. I also say, um, with those instances of time-wasting, normally the first player in a team to go down that path gets the warning. And that, no and more time-wasting. And in this instance, Katie Paz went, nope, straight up yellow card, which, again, is technically correct. Yeah. I don't actually mind that approach like from a referee, yeah. though, saying, look, I don't really want to stuff around here. And it's one of those letter of the laws versus letter of execution. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is, it is going to hurt the Raw on Thursday night, though, because she, um, she'll miss the game, and she, she went off as early as well in the second half, if you remember. Yep. When she got kicked from behind, went down. There was no yellow card, so I can't believe how that wasn't a yellow card. But anyway, yeah. there was an injury doubt over she as well for... Yeah, give, and we, we spoke about this on the post-game show that you know that I think with a short turnaround you you wouldn't dare risking her. I think yeah. so, um, and also as well, I think it might mm. against the bottom place uh, Wanderers side. It might give a chance mm. you know for someone like you know India Page Riley or you know Avi Lloyd, who's another one who sort of came on um, and did well, so have a chance to actually start. I think you know, it, maybe this might be the worst time for the likes of Gory and Ubu Ubu yeah. How's that fan club going, by the way, Adam? Which one? The one you're starting. Hey, she, Riley, hey yeah. she's on, doing the promo work today. Yes, so. yes, that's right. All right, so Thursday night, 6.50 yep. kickoff at Dolphin Stadium. Uh, the Raw have got nine wins, two losses in their history against the Wanderers. In Brisbane, it's two wins, two losses. Never drawn against them, so no. that's good. They've uh, won their last six, 13 goals for, one goal against. All right, quick prediction. Oh, the Raw will win the game. Adam? Yes, Raw. And I'm going to back the Raw as well. Um we're not entirely sure what our recording schedule is going to be next week, so we should also mention that we'll have another Thursday game coming up, 27th of the 12th at Canberra. A much tougher game. Canberra's yeah. in some pretty good form yep. this season. Although you can't overlook the Wanderers. It is football. And we I'll should, overlook them. And we should uh, also... We score more than one goal this season. 
we should also uh, quickly mention the very good news that, you know, following up from the Socceroos ending their absence in Brisbane, the Matildas will be doing the same thing March 3rd next year. So they're playing uh, part of a, I think it's called a Champions it's Cup. Cup of Cup Nations. Of, Cup of Nations. Cup of Nations involving Argentina, the Matildas, obviously, South Korea and New Zealand early next year. March 3rd is the doubleheader at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, maybe they should call it a Magic Sunday or something. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, the... There are games also at uh, Cogra and Amy Park. So, yeah, Argentina and New Zealand will do the other game at Suncorp Stadium. That's good news. We're going to be back after this to talk about the A-League trip to Wellington this weekend. So we'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. Segment four is James Scott and Adam here for the DFS Fan Network. And... Uh, should probably get some plugs in. Email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Send any comments, questions. We love to read it all, don't we? Absolutely. Send your complaints too. James. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Facebook, obviously. Uh, Raw Review, we're still working on getting that changed. Twitter, at BNE Football. Instagram is non-existent. Snapchat, you really don't want to get into that uh, sinkhole, but yeah. That about yeah, right? We, Something like that. No, no, maybe one day we'll go into um, what's a WhatsApp and WeChat and <laughs> when, when we get an international off in, on the audience. Who's yeah. on first? What? We should, we, try, we should try and break the record of how many different social medias we can create. Mm, Weibo. Yeah. All right. So, Saturday, 4.35 Brisbane time. Brisbane Football Review MySpace for next week's show. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> yeah. Saturday, 4.35pm, it is Brisbane Raw at Wellington Phoenix, a side that... They haven't been able to find a breakthrough against, and they also haven't lost to in their last four games. So, first and foremost, how are Wellington winning two in a row all of a sudden, Adam? Look, admittedly, they're actually playing quite well at the moment. I think Mark Rodan may have found the key to this team, and that starts with three at the back, and um, it, a and Roy Krishna finding some form. Is it... Uh, the key to that also telling them that they're auditioning for a job with the Canberra Phoenix next year. Perhaps. Um, Send your complaints from Wellington towards. <laughs> oh, please, by the time e- they get e- this. Either way, look, they, admittedly, they are, they are playing decent football. And um, look, you know, it's, and it looks like that you know, Central Coast Mariners definitely played them into form. If, if, the, if you thought that their win over Sydney was a fluke. I think Sydney played them into form, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. So there is that. I'm still consistent in my opinion that Wellington is the least interesting opponent in the A-League. However, considering A-League results haven't really been going the Raw's way lately, there is a very high level of intrigue in finding out whether or not they can actually pick up a win here. Yeah, I mean, it's every game now for the Raw is this winless run, I'll run without results, goes on. The interest is always there in terms of getting a result, and it's an opportunity for them. They have to, they've got to take it, take one soon to turn this around. And... You know, the last two games that have been played in Queensland haven't been all that interesting, but we've seen some absolute crackers over the ditch. Yeah, look, uh, it was a th- three all last year where yeah. Raw were down 3 0 after about 30 minutes. And um, yeah, look, uh, it, it, it's interesting because John L. Lucy sort of said in his remarks that, you know, it just, they just need something to turn it around. And a win here, you know, especially they need a on the road. They, they, need, yeah. they need something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look. Uh, this is sort of game that, you know, if the Raw were playing well and, you know, they had some points in the bank, you'd say, you know what, you'd be, you'd be happy with a draw on the road in Wellington, but Jesus has become must-win. I think they need more than a draw, to be honest. Yeah. 
And the question is, how are they going to go about getting something better than a draw? Because obviously Eric Bortiak will be suspended for this match yep. due to his red card, which, yep. Mm-hmm. Who takes over as the playmaker from him? I think? see I see three options. Okay. Obviously, it all comes down to probably how you feel about uh, Toby Nicholson, Enrique, or possibly even putting in a second striker like Nick D'Agostino. I think it's most likely to be Nick D'Agostino. I think after Mickelson was left out, and I actually missed it last week after his failure to track the run. We did talk goal. about this on you, last you, week's we show. We talked about this on Sunday. I completely missed it the we whole thing. We talked about it last Wednesday. I, know, I think you must have asked Adam about it, because I completely missed it. But because of that, and I don't... People say you don't pay attention. <laughs> I'm not sure Mickelson will be straight back in the same lineup, so I think it might be Nick D'Agostino who comes in. But it also possibly could be someone else, like a Daniel Leck, because he might change formation as well. Because I don't know if the block of four in midfield is going to be a permanent thing. So if he goes back to the 4-3-3, or 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, you need another winger in there. And it, so I think at the very least, you still have the personnel to make those changes. Yeah. He's go, he's going to need. Yeah, I don't think four four two works when um, when Wellington have seemed to settle on this this back three or a back five in defence. It, it's it's going to make it very very difficult to Raw to sort of really produce anything if mm. if they're basically playing you know five back in defence, which um, Wellington seems to be doing well. I think uh, Kakache and. Uh, not Fenton, I'm just... Yeah, it is Fenton on the other side. It is Fenton. Yep. Uh, no, I mean in, on the, the wing-backs. Yeah, because the Fenton's on the right, Kakacha's on the left. Oh, yeah, yes, too, yeah. Yeah, and those two seem to be sort of tracking back and also going forward, you know, so I think, yeah, I, the formation, they need they need to find a formation that's actually going to you know, allow them to create because if they try a four four two, yeah, they're not going to do much. Well, the thing is, remember the game in round two, the Wellington's formation and the third at the back really troubled or mm. they struggled to break down and get through that. I remember John Anderson was talking about that quite extensively in his post-match press conference, so... Maybe a maybe a two up top in this sort of game might work to something completely different to the way they played in round two. You might got thrown for a go. curve in round two, so yeah. now you want to try and you would respond the to that. Yeah, you you would hope that you know that they watched back the tape from uh, round two and figure out a way because it would repeat that. And I I don't think you're going to get lucky this time. You're not going to have Stephen Taylor miss from a foot. <laughs> no, but I do hope that you know. Stephen Taylor, I'd love to have him playing for the Raw, but as an opponent, I really hope someone gives him a wedgie when he's trying to be a pestered uh, free kicks. Hasn't he got two goals in two games now, Stephen Taylor? No. Don't tell me he's learned how to finish. He has. I don't know. No, he scored got, in no, Sydney. No, no, it was just allowed. Oh, <laughs> no, it was just allowed to goal against Maradona. He's only side by a metre, but, you know, he's counting. Uh, that'll, well, for a defender, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I think you should be happy with it. And obviously, as a central defender, he is used to holding the offside line rather than breaking it. Yeah. But yeah, I... I do think there's going to need to be some sort of change. The other question is also, with the back four, do you restore Jack Hingett or leave it with Dane Ingham? I will say it was a big decision to, to drop Jack Hingett and put Dane Ingham in. I would personally now say you've got to give Dane Ingham a couple of games. The one thing I don't want to do is see him being scapegoated for Friday night's performance. In a similar way, remember Ryan McGowan was scapegoated for that 6-0 loss to Brazil? Yep. By Hol- I don't want to see that. A young player has been put into the side. He needs to get up a couple of games now to grow into that team. And I do think yeah. that when they put, like, when they do it, you know, if they put Hing it in, and I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he does find his way back in eventually, mm-hmm. he'll be able to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I actually think it might be it might be time to give uh, Connor O'Toole a rest. Yep. I think. Um, look, he's, he's doing well, but he's sort of yeah. I think that may be where Jack Hing comes back. I think you play you play Ingham on the right, you play Hing it on the left, um, and give and just give mm. Connor O'Toole, O'Toole a spell just just to freshen him up yeah. as the reason as the reasons why they served they um, didn't play Jack Hing against victory away from home. I'm not actually sure that having the two 
young fullbacks is the way to go. You maybe want to get a little bit more experience mm. in there. Possibly even consider shifting Ingham out to the left, Daniel yep. Bowles into the right, and bringing in a new central defender. That's what I was about to say. If you do bring Hingett back in, you could put Dane Ingham over to the left hand so he's versatile, versatile enough to play both fullback positions, so you could do that as well. And I suppose last question uh, midfield. Do you leave, What do you do with Steph Mork and whatnot? I think Steph Mork has to play. I think, yeah. as, I, as I mentioned, plays yeah, off. Yes. I think um, I mentioned in segment two, I think it was, about the leg speed in midfield. I think Stefan Mork has to play. Yep. At the moment, with the midfield options Draw has, he has to play. Every game is fit. Yep. Now, I do want to touch on a couple of quick trivia notes. That mm-hmm. we've, uh, I think you've managed to dig those up, Scott. Yep. Uh, Wellington's the only A-League club Enrique hasn't scored against for Brisbane, I'm pretty sure. Yes, for Brisbane Raw. He did get a couple against... Did he? With Adelaide. He did. Yeah. Do you, okay, well, for Brisbane Raw, it's the one yeah. team he hasn't scored against. That also includes, That's why I thought to include that extra yeah. caveat. That there. also includes he scored against North Queensland and against Gold Coast. So it's pretty much every other A-League club he's scored against for the Raw, except for the Wellington Phoenix. I forgot and about New Zealand Knights. I, <laughs> it's the same club, basically. I forgot about his time in Adelaide, actually. I think so. Is he? Lot, yeah. I think it was so, so, so brief. So Jamie Young will be also playing his 100th game for Brisbane Raw uh, in yeah. all competitions. He's the 16th player to reach that milestone. So congratulations, Jamie Young. Congratulations. We hope that he uh, given the, up, reaches another milestone. Given the trials and tribulations that he went through early in his career, remember a lot of people, oh, have yeah. a lot of people not too pleased with his goalkeeping. I was one of them. Yeah. I'll admit that he's grown in leaps and bounds. So to actually get to this milestone is terrific. Yeah, and the growth that he's had over yeah. the last couple of years as well. And finally, the other little trivia note: uh, the Wellington midfielder Mundy. Every time the New Zealand commentator says his name, I just keep getting reminded of Matt Mundy. <laughs> <laughs> Just me. I don't know if Matt, I mean, Mundy would be proud to be able to shoot as well as Mandy does. He scored a great goal in the um, FFA Cup he, preliminary rounds against did. Western Pride, he, I believe now, it was. I don't remember there that. We go. Might yeah. have been the league, actually, but he scored There's a great a goal against Western Pride. I remember that much, anyway. Yeah, that's just a bit of a flashback to uh, raw days gone by, back on the orange top with the maroon yeah. shoulders, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Fun times. It was. All right, so uh, close out with a quick prediction. Adam? Ooh, geez, uh, it's a head versus heart thing because um, look, I hope the Raw wins because the impending apocalypse, you know, <laughs> might be coming if they get beat soundly. They won't be feeling very festive. No, I, it could be a long Christmas. But uh, this is a quick prediction, by the way. So, sorry, um, yeah, much longer. Um, look, I'm gonna say Raw. Scott, Wellington. Unfortunately, I'm. You're probably going to see this uh, when I'm presenting for another platform. But until the Raw give me a reason to back them, yeah. Oh, yes. Go ahead, go ahead. Until, until we all produce a couple of results to make me feel confident in you know, picking them to win, I'm going to have to say Phoenix here. I'll also say we're also now looking for a new host. I think um, someone's stolen our host. It's just a loan job and, well, I've got to put money on... The loan the fee hasn't come through yet, by the way. What fee? Exactly. We're still waiting for it to come through. Yeah. I didn't realise I was worth anything. Yeah. Gamble responsibly, people. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Scott, Adam, have a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, and, boys. and same to our listeners out there yep. as well. Yes. I uh, hope everyone enjoys a little bit of rest over the upcoming festive period. If you're a, we- if you're a retail worker, just keep plowing through. It's going to get easier, <laughs> I swear. And yeah, everyone uh, enjoy the time over the next week. We'll be back at some point after Christmas. Otherwise, mm-hmm. yep. Have a very good week. Enjoy the football this weekend. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas.